Well, Paul certainly gave us a stark warning in Ephesians 4 verse 14, didn't he? However, there's nothing like hearing a testimony like you're going to hear in this GFCD UK Bible study recorded on the 28th of September 2019. Hold on to the arms of your chair as you hear the testimony that comes out during the course of this Bible study. Because God died, Vanika died of cancer, my husband did, and I've got MS. And I thought that God had cursed us because we either didn't give enough or we didn't go to church as often as as what we should have. And my husband died seven years ago, believing, as I believed, it was the total will of God to die of cancer, that it was God's doing. Mm -hmm. And this was my belief until God spoke to me last year and I went to Cavis Bible College. Paul repeatedly said, I don't want you ignorant brethren, but the blunt message here is grow up, get discipled. Yes. Learn how to rightly divide the word of truth for yourself. Why? So you can defend yourself and that you won't be tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and crunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And that's basically what happened to you, Elna. You know, this is... Yes, it is exactly. Yes. And it costs lives. It costs your husband's life. And, yes, and, it is. And it's probably what and has put you health. in a wheelchair. Your health Definitely too. Definitely because, but that's, because that's, I expected it and it happened. Yeah. Well, we're expecting a good report. We're expecting you Amen. to be out of that wheelchair. We're expecting you to be made whole. Whole. Amen. Made whole. In Jesus' name. I'm speaking that over you now, Elna. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 4, verse 8, Elna and Kirsty and Sogo. Wherefore he said when he had ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. I'm going to read straight from Andrew Womack's uh, commentary on Ephesians 4, 8. Note 12. This phrase, led captivity captive, is referring to Jesus liberating the Old Testament saints. Old Testament saints who died went to a place in the center of the earth called Sheol. In the Hebrew language and it's got C, note 3, Matthew 12:40, and note 3 in Luke 16:22. This word Sheol was translated hell in Psalms 16:10, where prophesying of Jesus it says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to seek corruption. Compare with Acts 227 to 30 still reading from Andrew's Living Commentary it goes on to say 
The ungodly dead also went to Sheol, but Jesus' teaching in Luke 16, 19-31, which I believe is the teaching about Lazarus and the rich man, that teaching shows that there was a great gulf fixed between the two, between paradise and, what did it say, the, where the ungodly dead were um, in Sheol? Oh, anyway, I think it was hell until I get focused here. It shows that there was a great gulf between, fixed between the two. Those in torment, hell, yeah, so it was hell, envied those who were enjoying the blessings of the Lord in the part of Sheol that was called Abraham's bosom or paradise. And he's got C note 4 at Luke uh, 23:43. Even though these Old Testament saints were blessed, they were not able to enter into the presence of the Lord himself because the atonement of Christ had not been completed. So in that sense, they were captives. Now, at the death of Jesus, he, Jesus, descended into Sheol and took these captives captive. Then he took them to heaven, into the very presence of God. And that vacated that part of Sheol. So it's empty now. Now all that's left in Sheol is hell. In the New Testament, the Greek word that's used referring to this area is Hades. And it is only applied to a place of torment. Andrew continues on. It's quite a long writing. Now, note 13. The gifts that this Old Testament quote are referring to are mentioned in Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4 verses 9 to 10 are a parathetical phrase expounding on Jesus descending into the lower parts of the earth. See note 14 at Ephesians 4.19. Ephesians 4.9 and 10. So we're just about to read, read them as we're going on. Right now we're, we're actually looking at, at verse 8, but we're about to cover verses 9 and 10. So, were you able to grasp what that was all about then, Elna and Kirsty? Yes. Yeah. Because okay. Hades and Sheol were opposite each other, wasn't they? Basically, the story is this: that when Jesus was crucified, you know how he he said the thief on the cross. I'm not reading this. I'm just yeah. speaking off the top of my head. He said to the thief on the cross, when the thief asked him to remember him in his kingdom, he replied. Today you will be with me in paradise. paradise. Now, yeah. Now that paradise, basically the story is this, that until Jesus had completed his mission, and his mission was he had an appointment with a tree at Calvary, and that was his purpose in being here. He came here for the purpose of paying the price for mankind to restore us, to restore us to God, you know, restore our 
communion with God. To do that, he had to die on the cross, he had to descend into hell, he had to defeat the devil and take back the keys to hell itself. And he had to then be raised from the dead by God the Father and then he went to heaven. When he, After he was raised from the dead, do you remember that I think it was Mary, the very first person to see him, he said, don't touch me, don't touch me. He, they, she could speak to him, but don't touch me because I haven't ascended to my father, he said. Why was this so important? Because he had to ascend into heaven and he had to sprinkle his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. Once he had done that, his mission was complete. And then he returned and he said to the, his disciples, touch me. He said, Thomas, put your hand in my side, put your finger in, my, in the hole in my hand, feel the nail imprints, you know. So there was no problem with touching him at that stage. But prior to Jesus ascending and sprinkling his blood on the mercy seat in heaven, nobody could go to heaven. So all of the Old Testament saints... We get born again by looking back and believing on the finished work of Jesus at the cross and putting our faith in Jesus and making him our, the Lord of our life and believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. That's how we did it. But for the Old Testament saints, they put their faith in the coming Messiah. They look forward to the finished work of the cross they look forward to the Messiah coming. They trusted on the Messiah. You remember that they they painted the door lentils and with the blood of the lamb being symbolic of Jesus shedding his blood. So that was the picture. But as they died, they couldn't go to heaven. So there was this holding place in Sheol called paradise or Abraham's bosoms it's also called and it was separated from hell by a, a massive gulf that they couldn't cross over apparently they could see each other and you can read that in yeah. Luke in the story of Lazarus yeah. and the rich man well I love that story because it's one of the very very few stories that shows us what it's like on the other side of death when we die and go to be with the Lord and as I see it, we have five, the five senses. You might think, but you don't have a body. Well, you have a glorified body, and apparently the five senses are there because they could all sense heat and various other things. So go and read that story. It's just a very, very interesting story in Luke. That's basically the thrust of it, Elna? Yes. So we might go on with verse 9 now. I'll just read that. Verse 9 of Ephesians 4, chapter 4. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? It looks like this is going to tell us a story that I just, that just told you. Verse 10. He that descended is the same also that ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. I'll go to my note for Ephesians 4.10. Andrew Womack's commentary for Ephesians 4.10. Note 15. Paul made it 
crystal clear that Jesus died, went to Sheol, was resurrected and ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And verse 11 says, And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Basically, that's the fivefold ministry. These were gifts, gifts to the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.11 talks about the fivefold ministry offices, the offices of fivefold ministry. That it, those offices are apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And in verse 12, it tells us that their purpose is to train the saints for the work of the ministry. However, it's not working as well as it could work. Let me put it that way. And God knew this. He wrote in the Bible. Let me go back to my notes. However, within the church, the body of Christ today, what can I say other than to quote scripture? Because I see this happening. And I'm quoting from Ephesians 4.14, but I don't want you to go there. I'm just going to quote it. We're actually dealing with Ephesians 4.11. And in Ephesians 4.14, it talks about by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lay in wait to deceive. And the point I'm making is these men are inside the church, but not every church, praise God. I'm just going to break from my reading here and saying, we are learning here. The whole purpose of this Bible study is to teach people how to rightly divide the word of truth for themselves. Now, that isn't only the Bible that you're reading. It's when people are preaching to you, when you're hearing the word. That's the purpose. If they train disciples, I'm talking about the church, the church as a whole, if they, being the church or the leaders in the church, train and disciple the saints and then send them out, they won't have their tithe coming in each week. So they cunningly make the people pastor-dependent rather than God-dependent. And that's what this is talking about and I, this is not me, this is Ephesians 4.14. It says, By the slight of men and cunning craftiness, wherein they lie in wait to deceive. So this is not a, a Gary thing. This is just me explaining what the Word of God says. Discipleship is neglected across a broad section of the churches. And I'm asking the question, is this deliberate? As I said, it's not in all churches, but it is out there, and we need to be aware of Paul's warning to us. However, you cannot be deceived if you are discipled and taught how to rightly divide the word of truth. It's in the word of God, only a few verses ahead. Verse 12. Actually, I might hand over to you, Elna and ask you to read both verses 11 and 12 together for us, please. And he himself gave some 
to be apostles, from prophets, from evangelists, and from pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Amen. Thanks, Elna. Amen. For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. I've got a question. Was this your experience in your church? Yes, we got born again. But were we discipled and taught how to rightly divide the word of truth? I'm not asking anybody to answer that. Just have a think about it yourself. I don't need to think about this. I don't need to think about my answer. It's a straightforward no. That was what happened with me. How about you, Sogo? I'll open your line up. Were you discipled when you got led to Christianity? Not at all. Not at all. Okay, three out of three. The, four out the, of four, Kirsty said. Four out of four. Okay, thanks, Kirsty. Your name doesn't come up on my screen here because you're connected with Elna, Kirsty. Sorry about that. My apologies. You can see that we, the situation, like it's, it's not this way in every church, but it is out there. And when you've got four Christians here who have all been led to the Lord and converted to Christianity, basically we're supposed to be disciples. Jesus said, disciple the nations. He didn't just say, go out and make converts. Yeah, it's, you know, I just shake my head. I got born again when I was in my, possibly even before I was a teenager. It was like very, very early, but I didn't get discipled until I was 43. What a waste. My life turned around when I got the revelation of my own salvation. And that didn't happen when I got born again. I was born again and I didn't even know I was born again. It was only when after many times of saying the sinner's prayer, or as I prefer to call it, the beginner's prayer, that this pastor read to me Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. From that point forward, my life turned around 180 degrees. Change of direction, total change of direction. It wasn't because I got born again, it was because it was the beginning of my discipleship. I just made up my mind there and then on the spot. If two verses out of the out of the Bible can give me total confidence in my own salvation, total confidence. I knew I had my ticket to heaven from that moment on out of Romans 10 verses 9 and 10. If that promise from God out of two verses of the Bible could so radically change my life for the better, I want to know all the promises of God. That was a Sunday. On the Monday, I went out and bought myself a New King James Version of the Bible and I started reading it. And I read it night and day for, well, at least for the first two or three years, there was basically, um, that's all I did. Uh, I, I just read the Bible. I read it ravenously. 
because prior to my being discipled, I'd been under attack from the enemy for 10 years and I didn't know how to defend myself. So discipleship gives you the wherewithal that you can withstand those fiery darts from the enemy. If you haven't been discipled, if you don't know who you are in Christ and you don't know how to defend yourself, then you're just at his... Well, he doesn't have any mercy. I'm talking about the enemy, Satan, the devil. It says he walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Who is it that he may devour? Those who don't know who they are in Christ and don't know how to walk in that authority and victory that Jesus wrought for them over the devil at the cross. We'll go back to Ephesians chapter 4. We just finished 11 and 12. Would you like to read 13 and 14 for us, please, Elmer? Yes. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That okay. we should no longer... Oh, do you want me to do 14? Yes, but seeing as I've interrupted, sorry about that, I'll, I'll just make a comment on 13 first, Elna, and then I'll get you to read 14. Ephesians 4 verse 13. This verse tells us what every Christian should aspire to be. Unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In verse 15, it says it's about each of us growing up. And now I'll get you to read verse... What was that? That was 14, was it? Or uh, was that 13? 14. Yeah. Uh, I'm so. on verse 14 now. Okay. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That's the verse that I quoted from before. I'm just shaking my head from side to side when I read it. <sighs> that we henceforth be no more children tossed um, to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness where they lie in wait to deceive. It's shocking, really, um, isn't it? Gabby, if you could just give me a couple of minutes to speak, as I yes. feel this is very important. Uh, this is by no means a criticism. This is just a fact of what happened. Now, when I was married before my husband died, as you know, but from a Greek Orthodox Jewish background, when I became born again, I really wanted to, when I grew up, I wanted to go to these born again churches, which I did. Me and my husband, we wanted to know Jesus. When we went to these churches, the teachings that we had were, if we don't go to church, if we don't give, we're going to be cursed. And our whole life for years became 
We gave out of fear. We gave to God so that he wouldn't curse us. Every other time we went to church, we would be told if we didn't go Wednesday, we'd lose our blessing. If we didn't go Saturday, we'd lose our blessing. If we lose our blessing, we will be cursed. And the long and short of it is, yes, we were tricked out of thousands and thousands of pounds to the point where it nearly gave me a nervous breakdown and it nearly caused a divorce between my husband because of very wrong, wrong, wrong teaching. And this yeah. is why I went to Paris Bible College in the end. And it's only then that I began to think, are you telling me? Because God died, of my, uh, Banico died of cancer, my husband did. And I've got MS. And I thought that God had cursed us because we either didn't give enough or we didn't go to church as often as, it, as what we should have. And at one church that I went, the pastor told me that I should leave my husband and marry one of the associate pastors of the church because that's what God had said. And I said to the pastor, but I'm a married woman with two children. I was about, I don't know, about 28 years old at the time. And he told me that if I didn't leave my husband and marry the associate pastor, that God would curse me and bring me to my knees. So when I did become poorly, and as you know, I'm in a wheelchair, until I went to Carrie's Bible College, I really believed that God had done this to me. And my husband died seven years ago, believing, as I believed, it was the total will of God to die of cancer that it was God's doing. Mm -hmm. And this was my belief until God spoke to me last year and I went to Cavis Bible College. So going back to this scripture, I understand this scripture perfectly. Well, that is that is a sad story actually. Yes it is. What you described is a you called it a born-again church. I assume it wasn't a denominational church, that it was a Pentecostal church. Pentecostal. You know, it was a Pentecostal. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's Pentecostal churches and there's Pentecostal churches. What you experienced was a church where they were preaching, basically preaching the law, the law of Moses. Because wherever the law... Mean, Yep. I don't know if it's only the law, because I'm Jewish, remember. The law yep. of Moses doesn't say wife yep. leave the husband and marry the pastor. No, Do that's right. No, that. no, no, but you're right. Was, yeah, I'm yep. going to say it wasn't a legalistic church. I'm going to say it was a church from the devil. Yeah. it under the name of God. That's what yep. I would say. Yeah, okay. I will I I stand corrected. You're 100% right, Elna. That that's true. No no way representing God. Yeah. No, that isn't. All right. We might continue on. Where were we at, Elna? Which verse were we, we at? Just, 
Oh, we just finished verse 14. Okay. Verse 15. Four. Yeah. Right. Father, speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. I'm going to go to my notes here. Paul repeatedly said, I don't want you ignorant brethren, but the blunt message here is grow up, get discipled, yes. learn how to rightly divide the word of truth for yourself. Why? So you can defend yourself and that you won't be tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And that's basically what happened to you, Elna. You know, this Yes, was... it is exactly. Yes. And it cost lives. It cost your husband's life. And, yes, and, it did. And it's probably what and has put you in a wheelchair. Your health Definitely too. Because, but that's, because that's, I expected it and it happened. Yeah. Well, we're expecting a good report. We're expecting you to be out of that wheelchair. We're expecting you to be made whole. Whole. Amen. Made whole. In Jesus' name. I'm speaking that over you now, Elna. Okay. Amen. Amen. Okay, verse 16. From whom Would the whole... Like... Yes. Could you read it, please, Elna? Oh, okay. Yes. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Amen. Would you like to read Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5 for us, please, Elna? Absolutely. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Thank you, Elna. Yeah, so that's basically saying the same thing as Ephesians 4.16, isn't it? And then over in Colossians 2.19, it says, And not holding the head from which all the body by joint and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increase with the increase of God. So basically it's the same thing. I know it's hard to get the whole gist of it, just taking one verse out of context there in Colossians, but basically it's another supporting verse. It's just a reference verse against Ephesians 4.16. And over in Andrew Womit's commentary, he says that the word compact, see it says there uh, in 4.16, it says, from whom the whole body joint and compacted, Compacted. It's interesting that he's focused on that word compacted. 
let's just see what he actually says about it. The word compacted means to press or join firmly together. together. In the American Heritage Dictionary, it's a descriptive of the way particle board is made from joining small wood scraps in such a way that they become as strong as a solid piece of wood. The strength comes from each piece being in union with the other pieces and that's how we should be in the body of Christ. Separately, each small piece cannot bear much stress but when they are compacted with many other scraps of wood, great strength can be achieved. My hobby is woodwork, so I really appreciated that description. If you could read verse 17 for us, please, Elna. Absolutely. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. I think we're going to have to cover verses 18 and 19 because 17 and 18 and 19 all talking about the old man in other words the unsaved person who was crucified with Christ that's us you know we have a history we have a past what was that verse 18 or 17 uh, that was 17 I think I'm okay. going to read 17 18 and 19 let me just comment on verse 17 first. Ephesians 2 verse 2 says, Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Ephesians 4.22 says, that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. So that's just supporting verses or I call them reference verses. You know how you in the margin of your Bible it, against one verse it'll say, give you another verse? Yeah. Uh, so it just gives us more understanding if we have a look at them and that's what I was doing just there against verse 17. So if you could read 18 for us, please, Elna. Yes. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Okay, so that was this is, 18. yeah, 18. This is talking about the unsaved. This is describing yes. the unsaved Gentiles. Romans uh, 1 verse 21 says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. You know, the early chapters of Romans goes into a lot of detail about this. Verse 19, please, Elna. Yes. Who, being past feelings, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all on cleanliness with greediness. Ephesians 4.19 from my notes, and I refer to 
Oh, this is a reference verse. Let me just see. Yeah, I've just got two reference verses, as I described before. They show up in my Bible, and they give us more understanding of Ephesians 4.19. So I'll just read them to you. First Timothy 4.2 says, Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And the second verse is 1 Peter 4, verse 3, For the time past of our life may suffice as to this is hard to read let me just let me go over it again for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the gentiles when we walked in that big word lividiousness lusts excessive wine reveling, banqueting and abominable idolatries. I hope you guys got something out of that. <laughs> I found it hard to read. Yes. I, think, okay. I think it's by Pam Herming, number 19. Okay, now number 20 please, Elna. But you have not so learned Christ. A little verse, such a little verse, but what a powerful, powerful verse. But you have not so learned Christ. Well, so how does the Bible say we are going to learn Christ? That's a good question, isn't it, Elna? Yes. Let me just read that verse. But you have not so learned Christ. So let's have a look at how the Bible says we learn Christ. And if you would be so kind, Elna, if I could ask you to read this for me. From Hebrews chapter 8, yes. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 through to verse 12, please. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Can you just hold up there? Can you just hold up there? Because I want to talk about this. Verse 7 is, For if that first covenant, it's talking about the Mosaic covenant, yes. the, old, the, the law, the law of Moses. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then there would have been no place to have been sought for a second covenant. Sorry to interrupt there, but I just wanted to get it into context of what we're talking about here. Yes. If you could read on from verse 8 and read down to, um, what was it, verse 12, please. To 12. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach 
his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for he shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. And, and verse 12. And verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Amen. The question was, so how does the Bible say we are going to learn Christ? Well, verse 10 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. They already had the law, but he's going to bring them a new covenant. It's the covenant that we have. It's the covenant of grace that we've got, the New Testament. We took communion. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And we're talking about this new covenant, this New Testament. For Verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. It's the same covenant that he's got with us. Um, After those days, saith the Lord. And this applies to us. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. So when you get born again, God places his laws in your mind and writes them in the heart, in our hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Verse 11. And they shall not teach every man and his neighbor, and every man and his brother. See, under the law, there was a mediator, a mediator between God and the people. And people had to be taught and everything from God came through a mediator so that's what he's talking about here but not under this new covenant that he will make with them which which is where we're at and they shall not teach every man and his neighbor and every man and his brother saying know the Lord that's what they used to do for all shall know me from the least to the greatest praise God For I will be merciful to the unrighteous and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Praise God. But back at verse 11. For all shall know me. Everybody's going to know God. Why? Because he reveals himself to everybody. This is what this is about. Verse 11 is he's going to write on their minds and in their hearts. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. God reveals himself to everyone just as he did for Peter over in Matthew 16 verses 15 to 17. And Matthew 16 verses 15 to 17 says, He said unto them, Actually, could I get you to read that please, Elna? He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, for Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
Amen. Yeah, Amen. so it comes down to this. Many places in the Word of God, it says that God is not a respecter of persons. In other words, he doesn't show partiality towards any man. So if he has revealed who Jesus is to Peter, then he must reveal who Jesus is to every man and every woman on the face of the earth. Even though you've had Jesus revealed to you, you then get to choose. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. You get to accept that gospel. You've got a revelation from God of who Jesus is. You've got this Jesus-shaped vacuum on the inside of you. And somebody comes along. In your case, it was Elizabeth who preached the gospel to you, Eleanor. And they preached it. It fitted that vacuum on the inside of you and you grasped it with both hands and accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. So that's that's yes. basically how it works. Praise God. Well, we've just come up to the Praise hour, God. so I didn't stop at the three quarters of an hour. You got me all excited there, Eleanor, with your story. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is that you've got a revelation of the truth now, and you've grasped it with both hands too, and you're uh, running with it. Please. Praise yes, God. Oh, yeah. Glory, glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the revelation of the truth that you're bringing to Elna, Kirsty, and Sogo and everybody else that's listening to this uh, recorded Bible study. Praise you, God. And thank you, God, for the people that you bring to these Bible studies. Thank you that you bring revelation of the truth through your word that is shared here and that lives will be changed for the better through hearing your word. Praise you, God, and I'll close this Bible study in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Gary. God bless you. We love you, All Gary. Right. Yes, we love you too, Elna, Kirsty, and you too, Sago. You're Amen. loved. Amen. Goodbye. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Amen. Bye-bye. Amen. See you all next week. Bye. Love you. Bye. Bye-bye. Love you. Bye.